morning, everybody. Well, today we're starting uh, 1 Corinthians. The reason I chose Corinthians is a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is one of the major problems in the Corinthian church is division. And Paul's going to deal with that really in the first four chapters of the book. He deals with divisions. He deals with uh, lawsuits between believers. He deals with sexual immorality. He deals with how they look at the poor, how they look at each other. And he's dealing with a lot of these problems that really go on in every church, right? Throughout the ages, for 2,000 years, it's like we never get it right. And, and the key, and this is the key to this book, is that we got to live gospel-centered lives, And that means the gospel that we enjoy the grace of God, we enjoy the forgiveness of God, we enjoy the mercy of God, but it's not just to be received, it's also to be given. And it's to be given to each other as we fellowship one with another. And the thing I want us to understand about the Corinthian church um, is that they were a very diverse church. Um, This city, just a little background, because I think it really helps us understand the problems of the Corinthian church. Uh, The city was uh, a city that Julius Caesar had restored. Uh, Many of his soldiers retired there and settled there. And so the the city, as it grew in population, it became a commercial powerhouse. It connected the east and the west to Europe and to North Africa. And the markets brought in many Jews and and Gentiles to trade their goods. And, and And Corinth became a cosmopolitan city. And as in any great city, um, they were full. They had wealth, vice, drunkenness, promiscuity, uh, myriads of temples, pagan temples within this city, and they were all found in great quantities. Uh, the scholar Frederick uh, Ferrar said uh, this was the Vanity Fair of the Roman Empire. At once, the New York and the Paris of the first century after Christ. So, if you ever gone to any big city, whether it be Paris, London, New York. Uh, you'll find red light district, you'll find drugs, you'll find gangs, you'll find violence, you'll find rich, you'll find poor, you'll find great diversity. But here's the power of the gospel. When Paul goes there to found the church, it brings all these people together. Now again, if you go to Galilee, what do you think you're going to have in that church? What's the predominant ethnic group? What do you think? Jewish, right? Samaria? Samaritans right? Jerusalem, Jews. But you go to Rome, you go to Antioch, you go to Corinth, and you're going to find a blending of nationalities. And here's the thing about that. When we have a blending of nationalities, we have different cultures, right? Different standards, different ways of looking at things. And yet Christ calls us together to be what? The body of Christ. And what is the great commandment? Love one another, that's the goal, isn't it? Love one another. So again, the, watch you see something. The reputation of this city, reputation to Corinthianize, it, that's what they had a saying, and they, they would say this to, as an insult, right? It meant anything from reckless drunkenness to go to the devil, to play the wanted. These were the terms that tell what the city's reputation was in the world at that time. So you guys getting a feel for what this, it's kind of like, uh, maybe like Vegas, you know, Vegas, but just ugh, all kinds of yuck, right? And probably great food, though, too. Um, but also wants to see something else. On the intellectual side, right, Corinth had schools of philosophy. They had schools of philosophy. They had schools of rhetoric, and they were great schools that weren't as good as Athens, but they were right there. So the city's reputation, again, of wealth and vice, but it also was a city as reputation of learning, Right? learning. If I said New York and I said Columbia, you're like, oh. If I said Juilliard, oh, New York, yeah. Great schools. Well, Corinth is going to be no different. 
But this, this diversity was found in the Corinthian church also. Jew and Roman coming together, Greek and barbarian, they all brought together, they all were brought together by their faith in Christ, and it was evidence of the power of the gospel and the work of the Holy Spirit. You know what's so interesting? I don't know about you guys. I grew up in a house that was very racial. My, the things my dad would say about other races, not my mom, but my dad would always say something derogatory, something, you know, inappropriate about other races all the time. And the thing about it was I found ironic is that when I came to Christ, all of a sudden, my friend, my best friend was Arab, my other best friend was Filipino, my other best friend was Puerto Rican. You know, it's all, all of a sudden, it was like my group, my view of the world became together in Christ that he brings us all together. And again, your ethnicity had nothing to do with it. It's our love for Jesus Christ, which binds us. Not our sports teams, not our politics. None of that was what binds us. It's the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this is what I mean by a gospel-centered life, that what's going to bind us is not these peripheral things, but the one that we worship and the one that we give our life to, and it's going to be Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I bring all these things up about the city is because the same sins and the same pride that you find in the city, guess where you're going to find it? In the Corinthian church. And this is the problem. And this, when I talk about a gospel-centered life, I mean it's a life that is now what? Broken off from the past life broken off from the past values, broken off from the way we looked at things, and now we come into Christ, and what are we? We're born again. We're new creation. We see through the eyes of Christ, I hope. We hear through the ears of Christ, and our hearts are being transformed to being vessels that house not just our Lord, but his values and his love for all mankind. The Apostle Paul, um, again, and, and I want you to understand something. The shadow of the city loomed over the Corinthian church. And many of the sin issues in the city were also found in the church. Now, as we look at the history of the church in Corinth, Paul goes there in about 49 AD, 49, 48 AD. And he stays there for a year and a half. You find the story in Acts 18. Read about it in Acts 18 when he founds the church. He's there for a year and a half, but this letter comes within three or four years after he leaves. So like the health of the church you know, didn't really last too long without the Apostles Paul's leadership, his leadership. And so Paul wrote this letter, and here's the thing about it. How many letters do you think were written to the Corinthian church? How many? How many? Close, Sebastian. You've got to talk to your Bible school teacher, though. Um, actually, about four letters. About four letters were written. We have two of them. We have two of them, but, only they, but they, they had this correspondence going. That's my point. There was problems going on. They're writing to Paul for direction, but we only have two of those letters. And the immediate uh, occasion of this letter is that Paul is answering really five areas of problems in the Corinthian church. Five, some of them have to do with sin, and some of them have to do with doctrine, and some of, this, some of them have to do with practice. Like Again, how they use the gifts, how they practice communion, how they treat one another. Okay, these are all the things going on in the church. So this letter is meant to recalibrate the Corinth believer to focus their lives on the gospel and how they live it out in their own lives and with each other. Paul wanted to deal with divisions, sexual immorality, suing each other, the practice of gifts, and the Lord's Supper. We're going to go through all those, those five areas. One, uh, uh, James Moffat, the scholar, said this, our commentator, says the church was in the world as it had to be but the world was in the church as it ought not to be. So I really want you to think about this. I was, when I was at a conference recently, 
uh, Ray Ortland. He's a, he's a guy out in Nashville. He's a pretty large congregation. And he said something that really blew my mind. He said that, like any other church, politics and the things in the news, the, the things that are going on in our country had crept into his church. They had crept in, and they were causing, guess what? Division. So you know what his answer was to them? Whatever your politics is, that's great, but you leave it in the parking lot. When you come into the house of God, this is a holy place. And this place is devoted for the glorification and the propagation of the Christ, of Jesus Christ and his message and his gospel. And when he said that, I was like, ah, that's exactly what the church is. It's an oasis from everything. We come into God's presence here and we leave all that baggage, all that prejudice, all whatever it is, we leave it outside and now we come to do what? Recalibrate our lives to who? To Jesus Christ. That's why we come here, to recalibrate how I'm going to treat my wife, how I'm going to treat my kids, how I'm going to look at my neighbor, how I'm going to treat my colleagues at work, how I'm going to look at the guy who cuts me off on the freeway, right? Or the, the slow cashier, or the rude waitress, or whoever it is, our lives come here until we can be re- recalibrated. And, we, and Paul wants to restore the harmony of the church. He wants them to root out outrageous sin, Right? He wants to correct their errors of understanding the resurrection and Lord's Supper, and he wants them to practice it correctly. But here's the big thing, and it all starts right here, is to reconfirm their loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. He wants them to reconfirm their loyalty to Jesus Christ and everything that means. So let's get into the scripture now. Verses one through three. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenus to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The one thing I want you guys to notice when Pastor Richie read this, the first nine verses to us, I want you to see something. Nine times, nine times, Paul refers to Jesus. Nine times in the first nine verses. Seven times he refers to him as the Lord Jesus. What do you think his point is here? Now understand this too. They're question, some of them are questioning Paul's authority as an apostle. They're questioning that. They're questioning, um, they have their favorites, right? Paul, Apollos, Barnabas. I wonder what Paul would write to us. Right? Who do we follow? Who is it? Is it a pastor? Is it a sports team? Is it a political leader? Is it, what is it that Paul would say, hey man, your loyalty that, to that person is becoming an idol and it has to be cast down and Christ has to be exalted. I think that'd be the answer to all of us, wouldn't it be? If there's any rivalry in our hearts towards somebody else. But again, so Paul, nine times in these verses, he names the name of Jesus because he wants Christ. Here's the thing. In our lives and in the life of the Corinthian church, he wants Jesus Christ to be central, central in our hearts, central in our thinking, central in our values, central in how we treat each other. I really want you to see this. And it's like, because this, I want you to understand, when we live this way, when we think this way, that's what freedom looks like. 
It's freedom from bigotry. It's freedom from hatred. It's freedom from all these shackles that the world puts around us and it sets us free to be the men and women God wants us to be. Because then we can say, because I do this because Christ is my Lord. I, I'm loyal to his call. I'm loyal to his message. I'm loyal to his commandments. I do, I live my life by what he has said, not by some man's interpretation that what degrades it or lowers it or waters it down. Give it to me straight or don't give it to me at all. But Paul, nine times, you guys, nine times, he brings up the Lord in the first nine verses. I think he's trying to get them what? Hey, guys, your focus is getting off. Hey, guys, Christ is not singular in your life. You've added on people, and me included. Get me off that. I'm not there to do that, man. We gotta be, Christ has to be central. So Paul, what? He reaffirms his call as an apostle. It's according to the will of God. He says this in a number of his letters. Uh, He calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. And he says grace and peace. But what I wanna focus on is that word peace. Because it means, uh, we know it, it means shalom in the Hebrew, right? And when we think of peace, we always think of it in terms of what? Absence of strife, absence of friction between us. But actually, in the context that Paul's using it in, and Leon Morris said this, it means there the presence of positive blessing. It is the prosperity of the whole person, especially his spiritual prosperity. Now think about that. So remember what Jesus said? My peace I give to you. Paul says, let the peace of God rule your hearts. So it's not just, oh, that I have peace between me and my wife or peace between me and you. No, it's that I recognize the peace that God wants to give me. And I think that, again, it comes down to what? That Christ is the one in control. We're like Peter. We're like Peter coming off the boat and Jesus says, come, and it's you, Lord, come. And all of a sudden, he's walking on this water, even though the storm's going all around. But is Jesus freaking out? Jesus is in the middle of the storm. He's in the middle of it. And he's like, come on, Peter, come on out. And the rest of the apostles are terrified. But Peter gets out of the boat. We all know what happens. He begins to sink. But what about Jesus? He was just, yeah, come on out. Remember, I think about it this way. Remember when your niece or nephew or your child first came to you when they started walking? And there was that, you know, there's like, they start to kind of teeter and then they kind of go to the left, go to the right and they stumble a few steps forward and maybe a step back and then they stumble like five steps forward and we're like, hey, they walked. Really, was that walking now? I mean, come on. Was that really walking? No, but they begin to walk. But here's the thing I want you to see. You're at the time, you're complete, you're going on, but that kid is a little bit scared. And what I want us to see, guys, is that the peace of God has to rule our hearts that we, we partake of this spiritual blessings, his peace, his mercy, his grace, his love. And he goes on in verses two and three, and I want you to see something. He says there in verses two and three, to the church that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, call to be saints uh, together with all those in every place, call upon the name of, the Lord, the Lord, of our Lord uh, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. I want you to see something. Now, we know one of the problems in the church is what? Division. But do you know how Paul gives them a bigger, grander view of of the church? He's not just looking at the church in Corinth, even though that is who he's writing to. But what he wants them to see, I want you to see this again. He says, all those, with all those in every place, call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Do you guys ever know that you are part of a bigger body than Calvary Chapel Fallbrook? 
know that you're united to other believers all around the world? In China, and in Iran, and in Iraq, and in Russia? Think about it. Do you ever know that? That God wants us to see the church. And Paul's going, hey, hey, you guys are really proud of yourselves. You guys are really proud because you're, you're from Corinth, this, this metropolis, this great city. But don't forget, you're part of a grander body of Christ. In every, in every state, right? In every city, all those who call upon the name of the Lord. And you know this word he uses for church. You know, I, it, people, it's ecclesia. And many people have taught it as being those who are called out of the world. And it does have hints of that. But you know more importantly what Paul is saying? You've been called into the body. You might be called out of the world, but you know what's more important than that? You've been called into the body. Do not isolate yourself. That's what the enemy wants you to do. He wants you to isolate yourself from the body. You know why? Because sometimes we bite, don't we? I'll be honest with you. You know my greatest hurts in my life? You know where they've come from? People in the church. I think we all could say, well, well, not as bad as me, Armando. Well, we can compare notes later, right? But seriously, we've all been hurt. I know we have. And it hurts me. I, it hurts me. And, I, and here's the sadder part. I know I've hurt people in the church. But here's the thing. We're called in to the body of Jesus Christ. We are called in. We are called by Christ for the fellowship of his salvation. We are part of the church worldwide. And only secondary are we the church in Fall but we've been called into the body of Jesus Christ. And I want you to see that. Because here's the thing. COVID did something, said so many things that were terrible, right? I think one of the most terrible things is caused people to stop going to church. I'll watch it online as I vacuum. I, I did that one time. I was home on vacation. I was watching, and, and it was like right between worship and the message. I got up, and I'm like, I'll just vacuum really quick. You know, and I'm, I'm watching the TV and, and I'm vacuuming. Guess what? I don't know if you guys knew this, but the vacuums are loud. You know, though I was watching the TV, I wasn't listening to what was going on. And I remember I stopped and going, what am I doing? I need to be in church. I'm so ADHD. I need to be like in the front row looking at whoever's in the pulpit. Because if I'm not, I'm like, oh, hey, look at that spider web up there. Oh, look. Oh, my gosh. There's a stain on the wall. Oh, my gosh. They forgot to paint that spot. And it's like a man is like, babe, turn your head. Or I'm, I'm, I'm poking her. I'm, I'm a kid, man. I'm out of control. But the thing about it is we need the body. We need to be with other people because iron sharpens iron. It does. So that means what? God knows there's going to be friction, but it's meant to sharpen us to be what? More gracious, more loving, more caring, more merciful. And you can't do that isolated. I used to do this as a missionary. I live with myself. So I'd be in prayer. I'd be reading books doctrinal books, Christian living books, prayer books, and I'd be like, man, I'm really growing. I've changed. They know what would happen? Bible study. And all of a sudden, I'm around people again. And I'm like, oh, if it wasn't for the people, I'd be a grand Christian. You know what I mean? Like, I'd be just up there getting my fifth degree black belt in Christianity, right? If it wasn't for these people, but that's where our Christianity is lived out. And see, and here's the other thing. We're, so we're called into this body and we're sanctified. And Paul gives us, I believe, a definition of what, what it means to be sanctified. And it's found in chapter 6. We'll look at it later on. But he says this. Speaking of them being called out and called into the church. He says, and as were some of you, but you were washed, 
you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So all of a sudden, we go from being out in the world to being brought in, and right away, what is the word? We are washed. We are washed. Do you guys remember when you first came to Christ and you really knew your sins were forgiven? Not here, here. That weight, that burden, that guilt, that shame. I remember my whole complexion changed. I went to church that first Sunday, and my friend Kelly goes, you're almost glowing. Why? You're, why are you so happy? Why are you smiling so much? I'm like, I'm saved. I am cleansed. And Richie and I were talking about this yesterday. Um, I, I'm a, I, Pastor Pat has said it a million times. We've said it from the pulpit a million times. It's grace, 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 grace. But do you really believe it? You know, I was talking to Pastor Danny Ramos the other day. We got lunch, and he was telling me something. He went to the tabernacle down in San Diego. I guess it's, there's a tabernacle down there. You can walk through the temple into the tabernacle. You can walk through it, and you go through, like, the call. They blow the horn. You come in, and then you, go to a, you, get, you get into the court. Then there's the altar. Then there's the holy place, and there's the holy of holies. He said, they give you a little piece of meat, and you throw it on the altar. So he goes, you smell the aroma of what it would be like to have a sacrifice. You're giving it to the priest. He said, at that moment, God spoke to him. It's so profound. He said, God spoke to him, and he's looking. He's looking into the doorway, into the holy place, and he can see the curtain that's guarding the holy of holy places, right? And God spoke to him and says, you live your life at the altar. You never come in to the holy place. And what he meant by that, he said, all my life, I'm always confessing my sin. I'm always looking at my errors. I'm always just, I'm clinging to the cross, what I'm supposed to do, but it's supposed to what? Push me on to come into his presence. But I'm always looking at my guilt. I'm always looking at my mistakes, and I never quite get there. And God says, I gave you the altar, the cross, so that you would come in to where? The most holy place. The throne room of grace, the writer of Hebrews calls. Remember when we went through Hebrews? Come boldly into his throne room. That's the holy of holies. And we do that because we know we're washed. We know we've been set apart. We know we've been justified by Jesus Christ. And now the spirit of God lives within me. That's what it looks like to be sanctified. And here's the thing. He calls them saints. Called saints. Not, well, remember their sins, you guys. They're suing each other. One, a guy has his stepmother, took him away from dad. Um, man, they're going to the Lord's Supper and they're getting drunk and they're not even sharing their food with each other. I would find that very interesting. If we had a potluck and all of a sudden you just put your, when we used to have potlucks on Wednesday nights, I always got a bucket of KFC. I love fried chicken. Could you imagine me bringing it and then sitting at the table and being like, boom, this is mine. You guys can have some mashed potatoes. You can have some coleslaw. You got those stinking biscuits, but the chicken's mine. Could you imagine that? I'd be by myself the next Wednesday, right? Pastor Armand is a freak, you know? That guy, he, he's coveting his food. But they were doing that with each other at, at, the, at the church, at the Lord's Supper. So they're doing all these things, but Paul reminds them, you are a saint. You are a called out one. You are of the child of the Lord. You are the apple of his eye. And here's the thing, we are united with the other saints for all those who call upon the name of the Lord. Because the, one, the Lord of the Christians in Russia, the Lord of the Christians in China is our Lord also. 2,000 years ago, the Corinthian church's Lord is our Lord. So we are connected not just to the church today, we are connected to the church for 2,000 years. I want you to see that. There's a big thing going on here because he's both their Lord 
and ours. And again, he ends, his he ends his introduction with grace to you and peace from God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses four through nine. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, <coughs> that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul begins again in his prayer for the church. Again, I always give thanks to my God for you. And this is why he gives thanks. Because of the grace of our God, the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So I want you to see something. So Paul is reminding them of when they came to Christ and how the faith, the gospel was received and it was confirmed. Like there was, there was a sign that said, man, these guys, their lives have changed. Their perspective has changed. Their values have changed. And it was confirmed and it was obvious. It was obvious to everybody. And again, it is all according to his grace. And notice the two areas he speaks about. He speaks about it in what? Two areas. Speaking, speaking, the telling forth of truth and of knowledge. Two areas. Two areas of what? They're very proud of. They're proud of being what? Philosophers. They're proud of being very logical. They're proud of being, very, being able to reason down to the nth degree, to take apart the atom of any argument and strip it down to its very core. They're very proud of that. And remember what happens when Paul goes to Athens? When he goes, when he look at the book of Acts, they're like, this guy can't talk. He's just mumbling and he doesn't make any sense and he's, he's not refined. They were proud of those things. I mean, think about this. In all your lifetime, in all your lifetime, what public figure w were great with speaking? I think Ronald Reagan, that guy could do a speech. I was a kid. Obama was really good too. Martin Luther King Jr., JFK. But I mean, think about that. We've just gone over like 60 years of our lives and we named three or four people. Paul was not one of those guys. We'll see that later on. But Paul takes these two areas they're so proud of. Look at it again. He says in every way, that in speech and in all knowledge. Because he wants to rip them out of their culture and what they think knowledge is, what they think speech is, the things that they're proud of. And he wants to rip them out of that and remind them in Christ it's totally different. In Christ, it's not being able to speak, it's being able to tell the truth. That's what matters. It's not just, you know, having knowledge. It's living in the knowledge of who Christ is. That's the true knowledge that transforms a life. And this is what he wants to point them to. But I want you to see something else. And, that, and when he says in all speech and utterance, the New King James, I think, translates it better. And they translate it this way, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance. Because when some people get filled with the Spirit, what was one of the signs in the book of Acts? Again, it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes what happens? Someone might speak in tongues. I mean, I was at a pastor's uh, thing, 30, 30 guys were with Jack Hayford, and um, we had worship, and Jack goes, hey, if you want to use your gifts, go ahead. And there's a guy behind me, and this guy, 
anytime Jack said anything, oh, Jack, that was awesome. Oh, Jack, that was the greatest. Oh, Jack, you wrote the greatest book on prayer. You wrote the greatest doctrinal book. And I'm like, dude, have some dignity, all right? Like, stop. You're embarrassing me because I'm in front of you. People keep looking like I'm saying that, right? So as, as we start to pray, all of a sudden I hear the gift of tongues like I've never heard it before. It was beautiful. It wasn't repetitive. Someone's going off. And I turn around, and guess who it was? Him, that guy. And I went, Lord, why him? Why not me? You know, that's amazing. But it's a, it's a sign of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. It's a sign. But they had this sign, right? They had this sign, and it was confirming to them that they had received the gospel. It was a confirmation of them that they were saved by Christ. It was a confirmation. And Paul does this to them. He reminds them of this. Because he wants to remind them that what you have, what you've experienced, what you know, don't forget it. Because what's happened, they've gone away, they've gone away from their confirmation, from that guarantee, and they begin to what? Divide by Apollos, Barnabas, or Paul and Apollos and Paul. They're dividing up the body of Christ. And he's like, don't do that. Don't do that. And what you've experienced in Christ... It's just the foretaste, the foretaste of what you're going to experience completely, completely when you see him. I want you guys to think about this. What have you experienced in Christ? Some of you guys, are, it's been a hard few years, right? Tired, worn out. Like I was sharing last week, people are falling away left and right. But I want you to really think back to when you decided, when you said, I'm, I'm following Christ, has he changed? Has he changed? Again, not what's happened to you since then, because we've all suffered in many different ways. We, we could start here and be here for probably two weeks, just amongst us. But think about it. Has he changed? Because I, I'll say this. I experienced forgiveness. I felt squeaky clean. I mean, clean, like, you know, a buffed out, detailed car. Everything about it shiny, right? The tires, the rims, you know, everything shiny. My inside, spotless. That's how I felt. And I'll be honest with you guys, there have been times where I've been so crushed, so crushed, that I'm like, man, is that, am I, why am I doing this? And I think back, and I'll, I'll rehearse my life, and I'll go, you know what, Lord? My life hasn't been easy, but man, I can't deny you. I cannot deny you. <sighs> All right, I'll follow. Like we were saying, Pastor Pat was saying last night, we have to get up. All right, let's go. Let's keep walking. But he wants them to remember. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So again, it's just like a sample. I'm gonna give you guys a sample of what you're gonna enjoy forever. Sample. Have you ever been satisfied with a sample? Or do you one of the guys at Costco that keeps going back? Like, uh, you kind of just come around and you go this way first, then you come this way, then you come the sideways, you know, just kind of grabbing it and eating it. No, you always want more, right? And it's meant for you to get more. The sample is meant to draw you in, isn't it? Like, come on, do you want some more? Well, bye. We have 27 pounds of it. You can take it home today with you. Man, what a blessing. I need 27 pounds of cheese, right? 
But here's the thing. As we experience the Holy Spirit, as we experience the love of God, as we experience the grace of God, God goes, do you want more? Come on. Don't give up. Keep coming. Do you want to experience more? Come on. Keep coming. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Because notice what he says next. Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about this church. Would you ever define them as or, or uh, express them as guiltless? This church was a mess. And Paul's going, yeah, guiltless. Guiltless? Guilt? Are, are Paul, are you writing to the Ephesian church? Are you writing to the, the Philippi church? No, I'm writing to the Corinth church because I want you guys to know who you are in Jesus Christ. I want you guys to remember and live like it. I want you guys to act like it, that you are guiltless. That, oh. You know, I, I was saying earlier, Gritchie and I were talking about grace. And one of the things early in my marriage, you know, first three years, man and I were just button heads, button heads, button heads, button heads. We're always kind of frustrated. I was, she was frustrated with me because I was just selfish. And, I, and any selfish person doesn't realize they're selfish. You didn't know that? You learned it from me today. Take that gem home with you, right? I didn't realize how selfish I was until she would bring it up. Then I'd be like, I'd be really embarrassed because I'd see how selfish I really am. And that has been for 20 years now. But here's the thing. If I said to her, she would like bring it up. I said, babe, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I forgive you. Cool. I'm forgiven. So we go to bed, you know, wake up the next morning. I get up earlier than her. I have my devotions. I have my cup of coffee and do my reading. And then she would get up. And she's still frustrated because what happened the night before. So I'm like, hey, babe, how you doing? Can I get me any coffee or anything? And she gives me the look. What are you so happy about? I don't know. Today's a new day. What do you want to do today? She's like, I can't believe you. Can't believe what? I can't believe you're acting like that. Acting like what? Like you're forgiven. But you said, you said I was forgiven. I, I did forgive you. I still want you acting like it. I want to see some remorse in you. I want to see some, I want to see some type of, that you're bothered by it. And I said to her, I'm forgiven. And I am forgiven. I asked you for forgiveness. You gave it to me. You, we, we are witnesses of this. And better than that, Christ has forgiven me. And I'm going to live like it. It used to drive her nuts. You, you actually believe that. Yes, I do. Because if I don't, then why am I believing it at all? Either it's grace or it's, it's either all of grace and we confess our sin and he forgives us or what else is there? Please tell me what else is there. Do you believe that though? Because I... Maybe it's just my simple way of viewing things. He said it, not me. He paid the way, not me. He's the one who called me. I didn't call him. He's done it all. I'm saying thank you. Think about this, man. Peter, Paul, uh, David kills Uriah, commits adultery with Bathsheba, and when a year he doesn't go to temple. A year. The baby's born. He has not been in temple, and Nathan comes to him and says, you're the man. And David says, oh, forgive me. God, forgive me. And Nathan says, you're forgiven. And David says, cool. Doesn't that bother you? Be honest. Be honest. But that's what made David a man after God's heart. He believed him. Do you? Do you believe you'll be found guiltless on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ? Because Peter tells us this. He's bringing grace with him. First Peter. When Christ is revealed, Peter says he's bringing grace with him. I read that and I went, Thank, oh yeah, grace. God, I'm, I'm, I'm the benefactor of your grace. Don't forget that, right? Blameless, do you believe that? For the Corinthian church, you wonder if they scoffed at it. Oh, blameless, right. 
But that's what Paul says. He is able to sustain to the end. To the end, he's able to keep you. He will not let you go. You're forever his because of what Christ has done, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, Paul says, by whom you were called into fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here the thought is that because it is his day and because it is he who will guarantee the Corinthians, they may be assured that they will be blameless in that day. No charge can be laid against those whom Christ guarantees. So they lack nothing. And here's the thing, you guys, neither do you. Neither do you. You lack nothing in Christ. And here's the thing, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying. It's either you believe it or you don't. Either you act on it or you don't. Either you cling to it or you don't. There is no other way. If you think you're going to earn it, good luck with that. If you think you're going to sustain it, good luck with that. I'm telling you, Christ is the way. Christ is the way. And now our lives are to be aligned with him. And here's something I want you to see in closing. Notice that last part. By whom you were called into fellowship with his son. That's fellowship with Christ and fellowship in Christ. What does that mean? They were having fellowship, right, outside of everything but Christ. Oh, you're of, you're of that pastor, you're of that. Oh, man, that guy's this. Ah, oh, that guy's that. Okay, well, let's not look at the pastors. How about Jesus? How about Jesus? Can we have fellowship in Christ? Yes, we can. See, here's the thing. If we allow those things that divide us to be the means of our fellowship, then we're never going to have it. We're never going to have it. And remember what Jesus said, he, the world will know you're my disciples by your baseball teams you guys chose for yourselves. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but think about if that was the case, we'd be like, you're out, you're out, you know? But if it's in Jesus Christ, that's real fellowship, isn't it? Oh, my, my best friend and I, we have opposing views on everything. He's been my best friend for, geez, since 87? We'll go at it. We'll yell at each other. And then, like, the kids will hear us. Why are you, look, why are you guys fighting? We're like, we're not fighting. We're just discussing this. But you guys are yelling at each other. We always yell at each other. So what? We're always yelling at each other. But, I mean, we'll, and then it's like this. Hey, you want to get something to eat? Yeah, let's go. I mean, we'll be, I mean, adamant. I mean, spit's coming out of our mouth. And then it's like, hey, you hungry? Yeah, let's go. Think about it. And here's the thing. It's because of Jesus Christ. Because other things don't really matter to us as much as Jesus Christ. We will be held blameless because there is no division in Christ. There is no division. So my question to us in closing, as we get ready for communion, what do you base your fellowship on with other people? Is it because they agree with you on everything? Good luck with that. I've had people, defriend people because of their political views, but they're Christians. I've had people, you know, stop because of how they wore a mask or didn't wear a mask if they got vaccinated or if they didn't get vaccinated. I had extremes on both sides. And I'm going, I don't care. I love you, man. I don't agree with you. I don't agree with you at all. I don't care. That's not, that's not the means of our fellowship. It's not. You know, America is a democracy, so it makes everybody have a view of what they think the nation should be. Did you guys ever see Gettysburg, the movie? There's a part that just really speaks to, I feel 
our predicament. It's the British observer. He's talking to General Longstreet, and they, he begins to make this comment about how they're all displaced Englishmen. Lincoln, you know, Johnson, Grant, Lee, they're all English names. And he goes, yep, I, he, and then Longstreet says, yep, I fought alongside many of those guys in the Mexican War. They're my, some of my best friends, classmates. And the English observer said, I guess it just comes down to a vision of what you think America should be. We had North, we had South. Now we have Blue, we have Red. Right? We have mask, no mask. We have vaccinated, not vaccinated. We have conspiracy, no conspiracy. Whatever, man. Are you in Christ or aren't you? Then act like it. Are you going to love your neighbor as yourself or you're not going to love your neighbor as yourself? That's up to you. But let's make sure of one thing. That's not Jesus. Because if our fellowship is in Christ, then he's the means of our fellowship. Right? He's the means of our fellowship. He is the means of our fellowship. That's why I could go to Hungary and hang out with my Hungarian friends and we are united, not because we speak the same language, right? Or we were born in the same country or we like the same things. Those things don't matter. What joins us together at the hip is our love for Jesus Christ. And that is the means of our fellowship. And I'll be honest with you guys, when Naranj, who was a gypsy, and our Hungarian guys, right, when Naranj got saved, they were all the same age, so they started hanging out. And people would see them. Naranj was a pretty funny guy. He still is a real funny guy. And he'd be talking to Yanni and Kata and Juji, you know, and, and, they, and Melinda. And I'd just be watching, because I was older than them, and I'd just be watching them, and they'd be busting up laughing. And the Hungarian dudes were like, don't you be talking to our women, right? But they look, and they're like, he's our friend, and we go to church together. We're followers of Christ. And that was the means of their fellowship. And it's a tough question to ask yourself, isn't it? What is the means of your fellowship? If it ain't Jesus Christ, I think we need to repent. Because we don't want any more division. The only one who likes that is the devil himself. Don't give him a foothold. And again, are you loyal to Jesus? Loyal. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we want to come to your table.